This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, has not arrived in studio. Sometimes he gets caught in traffic, uh, so we'll let you know when he gets here if he does. In the meantime, we've got a lot to talk about this morning. The Christmas bird count is on our list. It's an annual census of birds in the Western Hemisphere performed by volunteer bird watchers and administered by the National Audubon Society. So we're going to talk about how you can participate in this year's Christmas bird count. We're also looking for your stories about your latest bird watching experiences. Tell us about the birds you've seen and what birds you're still looking for. Join the conversation with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 or send an email, animals at mpbonline.org. Always remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning, Libby. Good to have you back on the show with us. Good morning. I'm glad to be here. Uh, I, I just remember this. I had a brush with wildlife that I need to share. Okay. Uh, it was very brief, um, but uh, it was um, this was before Thanksgiving, so I think it was early November when one of the little cold snaps we had here in the central Mississippi area. So I was doing some laundry and uh, went out. I uh, have a, a little thing connected to my carport that has you know the washer and dryer in there. So I went out there to uh, switch clothes from the washer to the dryer, and as I opened the door, there's this little face peeking over the top of the washer at me, and it was a possum. Oh, okay. So I shouted uh, and <laughs> ran out of the laundry room. At no one in particular <laughs> or at the possum? Well, I mean, it, it just, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a little shock. And uh, he, he, it was funny because uh, he looked at me and I looked at him and, uh, so anyway, I went back inside for a few minutes and then gathered my myself and went back out. And uh, as I went in, I I rapped very loudly, you know, on the on the washer to make some sort of noise. And and he was gone. So, um, he you know, finished his laundry and left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I figured he it, apparently he didn't chew up any cords or anything. And I thought to myself, if you stay out of my way, I'll stay out of your way. We'll be fine. Uh, and almost, I'm a little reluctant to do laundry at night anymore. <laughs> and I think it was because it was, you know, it was one of those really, really cold nights and I've not seen him since. So hopefully he had just, you know, found a temporary spot to, for the night. But it was kind of funny. Cause like I said, we kind of looked at each other and he was probably just as surprised to see me as I was to see him. So yeah, it's, it's, I guess. Can you kind of detect, did he come through the door? That might be the important part. Well, to yeah, because he doesn't have another way in and out. Right. And that, I remembered our conversation with the, the critter wrangler. So, yeah, I went, uh, the, I, it was right before I went out of town. So when I got back, I went there and at the backside of, you know, the where that is, there does not appear to be anything uh, big enough for him to crawl through. So I think he must have got in through the door because the door kind of closes, but doesn't completely, you know, shut. So I think that's what it was. Um, and so the you know, other thing I, I realize I'm being was being a little bit of a scaredy cat about it, uh, because I do think that if he's ever in there and I make some sort of loud noise when I come in, that's enough to it. But then again, the other thing is he's got to come out the door right at me. So 
like I said, hopefully we'll we'll if not see each other anymore, and if we coexist, uh-huh. you know, sharing the space, that's that's fine with me. In fact, that is one of those little tips. If you make your presence known and you leave that room, that's that's a good thing to do. Back out, but be sure you leave the door open so he can right. leave. Okay, because you can believe that he wants to get out of there worse than you do. Yeah. Well, you know, that's funny to me because a lot of times when you see like a little lizard or some sort of creature that gets in your house, people freak out and, and I kind of feel sorry for them because it's kind of like they don't want to be in, the, you know, they get, sometimes they yeah. get stuck in there and, you know, they're, they want to get back out to where they need to be. And so, especially with a little lizard or whatever, the little small, you know, I, I know that's not always quick board, but anyway, I yeah. always try to get them back out because... They will not do well when you know when they're in a dry house and everything. No, in so. fact, I've, I've found little things like that dead and dried up in my house. I that's something that I must have done feeding the fire. I, when I'm home, I, I like to do a lot of wood fire. So mm-hmm. I carrying in wood must have been what happened. But uh, Paul walked in and saw a little skink in the middle of the the floor. So just caught it and put it back outside pretty quick. It was already seeming very disoriented, and it was easy to catch, which made me thought, uh, think, okay, he's he's already getting dehydrated, possibly. And the other sad thing is they don't know that you're attempting to catch them to put them back outside. They no. just know there's some giant thing chasing them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No animal has instincts to let people pick them up. Yeah. Uh, by the way, we want to thank Adam Ronke, our buddy, yes. for filling in while you were gone. Did a great job. Talked about birds a couple weeks. And then the last time, which was two weeks ago, he had an interesting discussion about citizens' attitudes about uh, wildlife and how it affects uh, wildlife uh, policy and that sort of thing. It was very interesting. Uh, and just a reminder that if you ever miss an episode of Creature Comforts or want to share it with a friend, go back and listen to it again. Uh, you can download it on your favorite podcast app. Or remember that all of our shows are archived on mpbonline.org. So just find the Creature Comforts page and you can go back and listen to uh, any of the shows that you might have missed in the last several months. So any kind of events uh, coming up that you want to tell us about? Uh, yes, let's see. All right, the Museum of Natural Science, uh, the exhibit that they have, the temporary exhibit that's going on now is called In the Dark, and it ends on December the 31st, and they're going to have a big New Year's Eve party in there. So mm-hmm. costumes are welcome, <laughs> and uh, it's a glow party, and there will be dancing and lots of fun. So if... Uh, you're looking for some New Year's Eve fun for your children. This might be your solution. Do you, they can you can get out of the house. You won't trash the house <laughs> quite as bad, maybe if you play up there. So you can go online and learn about it. And um, Nicole Smith is going to be on with us next week from the museum, so I'm sure she'll mention that more. All right. And they've got several things going on this year. The Christmas events are December seventh and eighth, and it's called Snow Much Fun. And then December the 14th is Snowflake Science, so mm-hmm. we'll we'll learn more about those later. Uh, we're going to, this is a, a birdie day, I guess. Uh, the Mississippi Coast Audubon has other field trips in addition to the um, Christmas bird count that they'll be doing. So December the 1st, they've got a great trip going to Flint Creek close to Wiggins at 8 o'clock that morning. And you can, there's a, a website org to sign up if you want to go to any of these three. So December the 1st to Flint Creek, December the 8th, uh, they'll be going to Grand Bay to the near, 
which is a beautiful place. And then December the 15th, is um, they'll be on in Jones Park and Beaches and Moses Pier, lots of uh, coastal birding. Okay. All right. Uh, we're going to take our first break this hour. Hopefully, uh, Dr. Major will join us throughout the hour. If not, we've got plenty to talk about, including the Christmas bird count. Uh, during the break, uh, think about this. What year was the Christmas bird count established? We'll have that answer for you and tell you all about the Christmas bird count when we get back. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Uh, we're talking today about the Christmas bird count, what it is, uh, why we do it, and maybe ways that you can participate if you'd like to. Uh, before the break, we asked the question, when was the first Christmas bird count? It was held in 1900, beginning on Christmas Day of that year. Ornithologist Frank M. Chapman, an early officer in the then nascent Audubon Society, proposed a new holiday tradition, a Christmas bird census that would count birds during the holidays rather than hunt them. So that's how it began. Uh, and we're going to dig into that. But first, Terry has called in with Brand, uh, from Brandon with a brush with wildlife. Terry, excited to hear your story. Go ahead. Good morning. Uh, yeah, it was so funny when I saw the bird yesterday. I said, I got to call Preacher Comfort. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> but I, but, so I waited for you guys today, and I'm so excited. Uh, Highway 25, you know, it goes up to Louisville, mm-hmm. and then it kind of makes a right towards Starkville. Right. When you make that right. And you go down Highway 25, about 100 yards. I saw a bald eagle yesterday in the center median flying uh, right there at, the, at that turn. And I was so excited. Uh, and I know it was a bald eagle because it had the white head. It was a bigger raptor. And it had the white tail feathers. So you saw you saw an adult with adult plumage. That's great. And, and I had no idea, you know, I always thought they were around the reservoir because I've seen them out here. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know they were that far. I guess they they cover the whole state. I, I just wasn't aware of that. But I was I was so, I almost had a wreck. <laughs> it, it's a, really a tremendous success story for the Endangered Species Act. The animals come back greatly. I remember when I started working at the museum, which was, a long time ago, we had one nest that we knew of at Wool Market on the coast. And then soon after that, we found a nest at Eagle Lake and outside of Vicksburg. Now, there may have been some that, you know, that human eyes aren't going to detect everything that's going on out there, but there there were very few. And now we have records uh, of, I think, over 50 nests mm. around the state. Plus, uh, we get a good many immature birds that come down in the winter. So that's what I was listening to see if you were going to mention that white head because uh, we have adult birds, certainly, that come in the state, but we also have a good many immatures. So we have year-round residents that will stay year-round in Mississippi, and then we have an influx of some northern birds that just come down to get out of the, out of the severe cold. All right. well, I was so excited, and you can count. You, I do the early Christmas count, so I get credit for one. <laughs> yeah, good for you. All right, yeah. Terry. Thanks for the call. Good to hear from you. And you know, I've, all time I've ever seen a bald eagle is in a zoo, and it's in, impressive up in there. But and and you can imagine, you know, driving and you see it flying. Uh, as Terry said, he he almost wrecked, and that's uh, certainly understandable. We're going to have to take you. 
out on the Pearl or up on the reservoir <laughs> one day to see the eagles, okay? Or yeah. I'll, I'll I, remember to give you a call. Again, those those type of birds, the the, the raptors and the, the are just incredible uh, birds to see. So uh, Dr. Major has joined us. So if you have a pet question, you can call in uh, uh, at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can always email the show as well. It's animals at mpbonline.org. Today we're also talking about uh, the Christmas bird count. So uh, let me, we talk about the Audubon Society. Uh, John James Audubon, I think, was the is the namesake. Can you give us a little background about who he was? Okay, and I didn't brush up as far as years about that, which I guess I should have, but um, he was an early... Um, bird enthusiast who was an an artist and his main objective in finding birds was to paint them and uh, there are a couple of biographies about Audubon out that are pretty interesting. He was a very industrious guy and um, he didn't have financial means I guess really other than his art mostly. He He did a few other things but he he was driven to to get those paintings out, and he sold the big folios or mm-hmm. great big prints is one of the things that he was known for. And uh, wealthy subscribers would subscribe to those lists. And um, there is, I think, surprisingly, if you ever go on the tours of the White House, which are harder to do now, but uh, there's a, a portrait, or there was a portrait over one of the doorways of Audubon, and it's him holding a gun. You know, we've talked about that, too. That was traditionally, I mean, that's kind of how scientists found out what was here, and they believed it was important to have specimens, and we are glad that we have those old specimens. But he would usually shoot the bird, collect the bird, and then paint it in that way. Hmm. He didn't, I guess he, well, you know, he couldn't photograph it, so that was his solution was to shoot the bird. And And because of that, sometimes his paintings have a strange aspect because he was propping up a bird to do the way they do. The neck might be kind of strange or something. But uh, people were fascinated with them, and they were very popular because there was no other way to see what all the birds looked like. And they were finding new things. You know, we were a new country. They were finding new things all the time. Just a quick aside, mm-hmm. the last time I went to the museum, went to see the, the temporary exhibit, but also, as always, you know, walked around, went out on the nature trails. It was a great, uh, sunny, uh, cool fall afternoon. But also, I remember going by the little thing of Fanny Cook's uh, office, mm-hmm. and it was funny because before you go by there and you look at think, okay, but I was like, ah, I know who she is <laughs> now. So it was much more meaningful, this yes. this last visit. So And it's a cool little thing. And just to see all the stuff that she had in her desk drawers and everything, that's kind of cool, and but and I think that that be my, might be my favorite part of the museum, the downstairs, because you have the aquarium, you have the area there where the um, the turtles and the alligators are, and then you can go out back uh, to the trails. And like I said, we we picked just a perfect day. It was so it's just sunny, um, a little bit of coolness in the air, so you didn't sweat a lot. Uh, but the other thing was, and we took kind of the short loop. It's it, it'll give you a workout. I was huffing and puffing by the yeah, time we got back. You can walk back. a couple of miles, and there's a, a you know there's some altitude yeah. out there, so it, it makes it a, a good it makes it a rigorous exercise if you want it to be. You can do a a small loop up top that that doesn't involve walking up and down the bluff. Uh, and we also saw some guy jogging, kind of zip by, and I, and I was like, just hats off to you there because yeah. this is kind of a 
that, that's a that's a tough jog, I would think. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the more strenuous is connecting to Mays Lake, mm-hmm. and you can make a loop and go from you know either way and go to Mays Lake or the museum from either location, and then then you've done a really good walk. And uh, that'll be another plug, I guess. The first Saturday of most months, Audubon leads a field trip in there. And they, it's not a strenuous walk because we're walking pretty slow to see the birds. You can make it a strenuous walk if you want. And some people come early and walk for exercise and then join and bird with us. Okay. Got some callers on the line. Let's uh, first uh, begin by saying good morning to Sue in Beaumont. Sue, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning, y'all. Good morning. My yard was covered knee-deep in, in leaves until yesterday when I finally had, a, had somebody run over with a lawnmower and mulch them up. But I hated to do that because I noticed that early in the morning there would be flocks, I mean, just flocks of birds come out and land out in the yard, and, and they were like chickens. They would, uh, you know, t- take their beaks and turn leaves over looking for, I guess, grass seeds and bugs and things. Mm-hmm. And so there were, I, it, they were mockingbirds, there were bluebirds, there were redbirds, the cardinals, I suppose you call them, and uh, and, uh Brown thrashers. There were all kinds of birds out there. It was just a pleasure to look at them. But I've I never seen the little bluebirds except in migration. They do migrate, don't they? No. Are you talking about the real bluebird? Yeah. Not 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 the blue not jet. the indigo bunny. Bun, yeah. Uh, bluebirds know they're a year-round resident, although they will move for for food sources. But they don't do that big north-south migration. They're around. They are more colorful, and you notice them more when they're um, looking for mates and establishing their territory in the spring. Oh, I, I just never noticed them except in the fall of the year. You know. Uh huh. Well, I'm glad you saw them. And uh, in fact, it's on my list of things that we might talk about today. So I'll mention you brought up a great thing. Uh, um, it's good to be a little bit of a, a lazy yard man this time of year, a yard woman. Uh, leaves, yeah. And the older I get, the more I appreciate the leaf litter, uh, mainly because everybody knows, I guess, of my obsession now with fireflies. And you can't have fireflies without having leaf litter in your yard because that's where they live. They live underneath those leaves. So, you know, save a little section somewhere. Or if you're adjacent to some woods, there'll be, you know, leaf litter. But that's what they require. And on birds like leaf litter if you can leave some leaves in your yard or mow them the way you did and turn them into mulch it's easier for you and it's great for the birds the food that birds depend on is or many many species of birds are going to be down there in that leaf litter and uh there was a, a good article i read not long ago about be a little bit lazy in the fall, and it's good for your birds and everything else that lives in your yard. All right. Hey, Sue, we appreciate your call. Uh, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. If you'd like to join in on our conversation this morning, we're talking about the Christmas bird count, but always want to hear uh, your brushes with wildlife. And Dr. Major's now here, ready to take some pet questions. The number's one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. And any excuse I have to not rake the leaves, I am all for that. Yes. And I will have to put in that plug. There's not there's not much I hate worse than the sound <laughs> of the leaf blower. <laughs> that is kind of annoying, yeah. Yes. All right, uh, Mark has joined us on the line from Ocean Springs. Good morning, Mark. What do you have for us? 
Hey, Mark. Hey, good morning. Libby, uh, this is Mark Lasai. I just wanted to hey. say thank, thank you for plugging the, the Mississippi Coast chapter. They do great work. Uh, I just want to thank you for that. And, and of course, the Christmas Bird County you're talking about today is a very timely conversation. Uh, and as you know, uh, there are four of the chapters that do great work. The Jackson one you mentioned, the Okatibbee, uh folks up in Meridian, the Pinewoods, and Hattiesburg, and, and up in Octavia Hall County, up in Starkville, they had the Octavia Hall chapter, and they all do great work. What I was going to plug is, and, and we could have a whole show on leaf litter, but uh, <laughs> don't rape them. But what I was going to say is one of the things we are challenged with when we do them, we do two on the coast, is trying to get volunteers. And yes. I think what people get intimidated by is they think they have to be a birder to participate. And I'm a walking example of that's not true. Uh, I'm a bird watcher, and uh, I, I've been participating for many years. And I just want to say if, if some of your listeners out there are interested in participating in the Christmas Bird Count, then get in, get in contact with one of the local chapters and volunteer to be a recorder. Do something. But we need some help. Thank you, Mark. And you're a better birder than I am. You know that because you certainly taught me things. But, yeah, I I like to go out there so I can learn more. All right. Mark, thanks for calling in. Good to hear from you this morning. So, let me. what exactly is the Christmas bird count? Okay. The Christmas bird count is the oldest and longest, well, the, the oldest and largest citizen science project in the world. And it is... Um, sponsored by National Audubon, and Audubon chapters establish, and of course, since it's been going on for way over 100 years, this is, I guess, the 119th year they'll be doing it, uh, there are what they call established routes, and they are circles, big circles that are uh, 15 miles across, so it's it's very, you know, you can look at the map online if you Google... um, Audubon Society, you can find a map of the country that shows you the the circles. We have usually 19, maybe going to have 20 this year, circles in Mississippi that people bird in. And the important value of doing this is you're you're counting all day on the day that is designated for each. Each circle has a designated day between uh, December the... um, 14th and January the 5th. And so on that day, people join together, volunteers within that circle, and you will count every bird you see or hear, every single one. So if you see 12 red-winged blackbirds, you're going to count all 12 of them. Or if you see 600 of them, you're going to try to count the 600 of them. And those are recorded. Well, when you've been doing that exact same, that's why it's important for it to be the exact same 15-mile radius circle year after year after year. That's really good scientific information, and the database is valuable, and it's used a lot. Uh, You begin to see trends, trends in species, migrations, or, well, I guess we shouldn't call it migrations, trends in extension of range, range extensions or... um, or um, decreases in numbers of a species are real important. If a, if a bird is um, struggling, a, a species of birds, then we need to know about that, and you'll start seeing the trends in these kind of counts. Of course, the, the other value in having 119 years, you're going to have maybe a terrible storm in one place, and you, you don't get a very accurate, don't get a very good count. 
you get a low count or whatever, but through all those years of it averaged out, you get a good average picture of what's going on in each of these places at the early winter every year. So do you count, I saw 12 birds or I saw six cardinals and six? Yes, you want to know the species because the important part, then you'll get a total number of birds that were seen in your circle and then you'll get a list of how many species were seen and what those species were. And then they'll, they can, I mean, you can sit down and compare them looking at, but the, the computer will compare all of that and give you more information than you, you know, than, than you'd probably ever think of on your own. And also then, um, I, I guess there's an, I mean, it's not just willy-nilly, everybody runs through the circle counting mm-hmm. birds. That's, I guess, maybe sectored out, maybe like pie-shaped yes. wedges or something. Yes, and <clears throat> that's another, if you want to participate, you need to do it right now. You need to go online and contact one of the, there are five chapters, like Mark said, in, in Mississippi, and um you can go online, you can Google Mississippi Audubon, or you can just look under Audubon Society in general and, and click Mississippi. But uh, there is a, a leader for each of those uh, counts in the circles, and you'll get in touch with the leader, and they'll you know tell you where to go and what to do. And it's a lot of fun to do the counts. Um, I've done several years, and... Uh, you know, usually everybody gets together afterwards and have a, has a meal, so it's a social event. If you don't know very much about birding and you want to learn, they will pair you up with really good birders, so it's a chance to learn about birding. And um, if you're a, a seasoned birder, then you might be leading your little group in your area within that circle. Mm-hmm. They don't get very many volunteers. They're not going to get a very thorough account of what's really living inside that circle. So it is very much dependent on volunteers. All right. Uh, we need to take another break. When we get back, Dudley from Calhoun County is holding on the line for us. Dudley, we'll get to your call right after this break. Also, Dr. Majors here. We'll bring him into the conversation as well. So give us a call if you'd like to join in on our conversation this morning. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464. You can also send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more creature comforts after this. Running a business requires smart decisions every day. Make a good decision for your company today and reach MPB listeners through MPB program underwriting. For more information, go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, the retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. If you miss any of today's program, you can always subscribe to our podcast using your favorite podcast app, or you can download the MPB Public Media app. When you do that, you can listen to MPB Think Radio on your smartphone and on your schedule. So uh, if you'd like to join in on our conversation this morning as we talk about the Christmas bird count and take pet questions, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 Dudley from Calhoun County has held on through the break for us. Dudley, thanks for holding on. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. Good morning. And thank you for your program. I gave thanks last, uh, last Thursday for uh, all the... PRM shows. Uh, no, my call today is 
I have just been introduced to birding by some friends of mine, Sunshine and Robert Stewart. And oh, yes. I, and I can't keep up with the, uh, the different birds and the names and all these things. I, that's what I was going to ask. Shouldn't you have some kind of experience before you get into bird watching? Well, I, I guess it depends on what you consider bird watching. The minute you start watching them and, and learning and trying to figure out what name they are, I guess you are bird watching on your own. And if you want to lead trips, yes, you're going to need a lot more experience if you want to just go on a, a, a bird watching trip with one of these groups. Uh, you don't have to know anything or you can study up. I would say the best, the, the way you're going to learn more going on a trip with established birding group is to get you a bird book and get yourself some good binoculars. Practice using those binoculars so you can spot things, you know, and there's instructions with binoculars. None of us like to read those instruction books, <laughs> but if you do that, learn how to use your binoculars, learn how to use the book, and then Learn those things that you see in your backyard all the time. Look them up in the book. Pay attention to them. Maybe start writing down somewhere in a book or on a calendar where you see them and when. Then um, Libby, you can start. <laughs> yep. Libby, I, this is one of the things I wanted to tell you. My friends gave me a book. It's called The Law Guide to Nature Drawings. And what you do, and it's uh, also, you can make a journal, too. It, he shows you how to sketch the different kinds of birds, and you can identify them, too, as you sketch. But not only does the book carry through with birds, it also carries through with all kinds of wildlife, even trees. And it is a fantastic way to to improve your sketching as well as to improve your knowledge about wildlife. Tell me the name of the book again. It's The Laws. Guide to Nature Drawings and Journaling. And that sounds by, great. It's by John Mac, Mac Laws, Mirlaws. John Mirlaws. All right, uh, Dudley, thanks for your call. And, uh, you know, I think uh, the impression I've gotten from when we talk to folks who are involved in the Audubon Society and other bird watching groups is that they're always eager to invite new people in to share their passion. And so I think that if you are a beginner and get hooked up with one of these established groups, uh, you'll be in good hands and they'll they'll help you as much as they can to make sure that you have a pleasant experience. And in, in drawing or, you know, people joke about those adult coloring books, but I have a friend that really learned a lot about birds by coloring in those pictures, and she did them accurately and did them according to the bird guide and uh, learned a lot about birds that way. Uh, we got a call to get to, but first, you know, Dr. Major, I went to the dentist not too long ago, and it made me thinking about oral health, uh, and uh, that's an important thing for our pets as well. Uh, what are some signs we look for in, in dogs and cats uh, to make sure that their teeth are in good shape and that they're not having maybe gum issues or problems with uh, with their mouth? You know, it's a good idea to just look. Uh, and, of course, one of the first things a lot of times that we see when we have a problem is the smell. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you'll get infection and uh, it'll knock you down just about if you want to kiss your pet. Uh, <laughs> not to say that all odor comes from the teeth, but I would say a large percentage of our dogs as they, and cats as they get older develop some degree of uh, gum disease. Uh, they have a buildup of tartar. Uh, 
an infection, and it's it is important as you know from humans. Uh, actually, it can affect your heart, your kidneys, your major organs to have infection that's actually seeding into the bloodstream from these areas. So, in a in a wise thing would be to have your vet uh, check your animal, your pet. Uh, at least on an annual basis from the standpoint of the dental needs. It's part of a physical exam, and a lot of times we're not aware of it until you actually look and see that, hey, this is pretty bad. And animals can lose teeth. They uh, they are specialized dentists that uh, can work with the animals, but they, a lot of times the teeth are gone too far and have to be removed if there's infection. So it is very important. Another thing I would say too is, you know, obviously when you feed your pet, you know, watch them take the first couple of bites, and uh, obviously I think if again anyone who's ever had a toothache as a person knows uh, that that can uh, seriously impact your ability to chew. So if they seem to be struggling or in pain or something when they're eating, that would be a sign uh, that you want to follow up on. And as you mentioned, it's it's part of your, uh, you know, the annual checkup. So. I was remiss. Uh, I'm a couple uh, months behind, but I did uh, schedule mine for next week. Uh, and so that's important to let your vet have a crack at your pet uh, at least once a year just to make sure things are going well and to, you know, to try to find something that might be a problem and identify it early. Right. And your vet can discuss with you uh, prevention, how to help uh, prevent these things from happening to the teeth, whether it's diet or some sort of supplement that you can give. And there are ways to help uh that you can do and not just have to rely on your vet. But a lot of a lot of animals, I'd say probably 30%, 40% are in need of some dental care. We have another caller on the line, so this time we're off to Amory. Donna has called in today. Good morning, Donna. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. Uh, good morning. Um, I just have a question. I'm needing some help getting rid of the moles in my yard. They're just wreaking havoc. Okay. All right. Can uh, you help me with that? <laughs> and again, we often talk about moles, M-O-L-E-S, and voles, V-O-L-E-S, are both critters that could possibly disrupt someone's yard. Libby, am I correct there? Yes, yes. And that I guess that's one of the one thing that you, you probably need to know. A, a mole is more um, destructive as far as making the tunnels and that kind of thing, but not as likely to kill your plants. Voles, the little bitty voles, if they're in high numbers, they're actually the most damaging because they can eat your fruit tree roots and, you know, your all kinds of uh, decorative plants. They can, they kill that. They've really wiped out some of our blueberries. So either way, um, and it, Troy, you may have, I know you had some suggestions at one time, too. They make all kinds of traps. There are some things you need to be careful of that don't seem to work. I think the sonic things Mm -hmm. don't have too good of a reputation of being successful. There are cages. You may want to get a real exterminator to come and deal with them. One of the problems you have to be careful with would be any type of poison. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are some uh, baits out that would certainly be... uh, poisonous to other animals like your dogs or cats if they were able to get that um i you know you'd love to think that the sonic things could work and there may be some testimonials where they have worked i don't know uh the other thing would be some traps i think they do have traps uh and i've often said it uh, a couple of jack russells in the yard uh (laughs) usually will help take care of the problem Uh, of course they'll dig up your yard trying to get to the uh 
molds. But uh, be careful. And it may, if you have a real problem, it may be wise to um, secure the help of an exterminator. Yeah. Oh, All right. Okay. okay. All right. Thank Th- you. Thanks for the call, Donna. Uh, let's stay on the phone lines. Williams is uh, calling in from Aberdeen. You're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Yes, good morning. I'm going to just uh, throw this out here, and I'm going to hang up uh, and listen to your response at the veterinarian. I have a four-year-old English bulldog, and right behind his neck, he keeps getting uh, hot spots. His hair starts start losing hair. Every, I mean, it, it, you can guarantee it once a year. So uh, I'm going to hang up and listen, and, and if there's any home remedies or anything I need to do, please uh, just give me some advice, please, sir. Okay. I don't know what you've tried, and I guess we should have been uh, maintained the conversation there. But if it's a hot spot, it's, it's usually a sign of the dog is uh, scratching or itching on its own. Uh, and there could be an initiating cause, such as fleas, uh, such as uh, uh, actually an allergy-type situation. Uh, a lot of people will try Benadryl when they first see something like this or a topical. Well, they may help some, and they may not, but uh, usually it would be a temporary fix. I think you really, if you haven't, you need to consult with your veterinarian about why this is happening. It sounds like it may be seasonal. Uh, If it happens once a year, I'm not sure uh, which season might be involved. But uh, there are some topical medications that you could try and see if they would help, along with uh, I wouldn't use anything stronger than than Benadryl without uh, talking to your veterinarian. There are some excellent products that can help. Uh, one of those would be uh, Apoquil, which is a non-steroidal anti-itch-type medication, which is good. And some people would go to steroids simply for some quick relief to see if that would help. So good luck with it, and uh, I, it's kind of hard to visualize over the, uh, the phone line, but uh, I know it can be. Uh, worrisome to you and certainly to the pet. All right, Williams, thanks for your call. Let's take uh, one final break this hour. When we get back, we will continue our discussion. We're talking today about the Christmas bird count. And Dr. Major's here ready to take your pet questions. And as always, if you're ever out and about and you have a wildlife uh, encounter that you'd like to share with us, we always love to hear those as well. The number to call to join our conversation is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back to wrap up Creature Comforts after this. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. We've been taking your pet questions this morning and talking about the Christmas bird count. Uh, still time to work in a call if you'd like to join the conversation. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four is how to get in touch with us, or you can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. So, Libby, we mentioned that uh, bird counts uh, in Mississippi will be going on from the middle of December, the 14th, through January 5th, and you suggested maybe just... Google Mississippi Audubon or National Audubon Society, and uh, you can find out, you know, a chapter uh, in your area. I think you mentioned five uh, five bird counts going on here in Mississippi. Nineteen. Oh, I'm sorry. Going okay. on here. There are five chapters. Okay, right. Jackson, the Gulf Coast, Octibiha Meridian, there Okatibba, 
uh, what Okitibi is Meridian, and then Octibaha is Starkville, <laughs> and then uh, the Piney Woods or Pine Woods there in Hattiesburg. And the, I mean, there's a there's a Sardis Lake site. There's a, a South Hancock County, Brooklyn on the 19th. Uh, Grenada Lake, Vicksburg, and now I mentioned too for our out or should mention for our out of state listeners, Louisiana and Alabama certainly have plenty of of sites too. A lot of Mississippi people go over to Tensaw to the one in Louisiana. That's a great, beautiful place. Um, the Jackson one is on the Mississippi on uh, Barnett Reservoir. Um, Hattiesburg has a great count. Uh, remember, Larry Basden's been here before in Hattiesburg, and he leads up that one. Janet Wright in Jackson County. She's a, a person to get in touch with. Uh, the newest one that I know about is in um, Holly Springs at Strawberry Plains Audubon mm-hmm. Center. And, you know, we've talked about them. They do a lot of good things. They're having, uh, it sounds like a really good one. Uh, it's new and to entice volunteers to help. They're providing lunch and dinner that day. Oh, so wow. it could be a fun <laughs> day. Yeah. So uh, you might get in touch with the uh, Strawberry Plains Audubon Center if you're in that part of the state. And I guess one of the fun things about it is there's no way to predict what you will see, how much of what you will see, that sort of thing. So even for someone that's been doing this year after year, it's always exciting because it's, it's different each year. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, what we've usually gone with Bruce Reed, it, his Eagle Lake count, and there have been a couple of noted years where it was so cold, you know, that it's like, oh, are we really, <laughs> you have to, let's let's walk back to the truck and drive around a little bit. But uh, we still managed to see a lot of birds. All right. Uh, we've got a caller on the line. William from Columbus has a pet question for Dr. Major. William, thanks for calling. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I, uh, my family and I are going to be transferred to uh, the United Kingdom um, in a couple of months, and we have two dogs, and I just don't know where to start the process of shipping them. Actually, a great thing there would be <clears throat> make contact with your veterinarian. Uh, okay. there, are, there are regulations, and uh veterinarian can have access to the forms that need to be filled out through the APHIS Animal Plant and Health Inspection Service and uh, their regulations, and they may change from year to year or, or even month to month. It should okay. not be a great problem to get them in, but there are certain requirements that have to be fulfilled. I would go, okay. on, go on and start that uh, at least three or four months prior to the time you're leaving if you can. Okay, great. So the local vet is the, uh, the starting point. Yes, Excellent. That's what I needed to know. Thank you so much for taking the time and taking my call. All right. Take care. Thank you. Good to hear from you, William. Thanks for your call. Uh, one eight seven seven mpb ring is our phone number. It's one 672 You can call. Still uh, about five minutes of the show left, so you can call in if you'd like to. Uh, we've been talking this hour about the Christmas bird count. And Libby, we mentioned leaf litter and maybe not... Um, Raking up all of your leaves in your yard is a good way to try to attract birds to your backyard. Uh, what are some other things that you can do to, if you like enjoying uh, having birds come in and, and, and visiting with you in your backyard? Um, planting um, vegetation that has bird food value. Okay. Uh, mulberries, um, all the hollies with berries on them. Uh, 
blueberries, if you know, you plant enough. If you're going to plant blueberries, plant enough for yourself and for the birds. <laughs> it's it's going to make it easier on you. They love figs, even if you don't like figs. Plant figs. They they. It's entertaining to watch birds eat figs. Uh, wild cherry is a good plant. Uh, you know, again, you can Google online, but uh, if you kind of lean towards those native plants, you're going to get tend to get fruits that birds are used to eating. And also, uh, so many birds depend on insects. That's a really high source of energy. And we don't think about wanting to attract insects to your yard, but if you want birds, you really do want to attract insects to your yard. And uh, for those often, native plants are a better source for attracting those insects. And the leaf litter is a good place for insects. Uh, you know, talking about robins looking for the worm, mm-hmm. that's harder to do when you've got a uh, a lawn that looks like a golf course. It's easier <laughs> if you've got, yeah, you need, need some edge effect there and you need maybe some uh, beds and things. So get rid of a little of your turf and... Uh, plant some variety. And uh, as Adam Ronke, when he was here, reminded us uh, both times he was here, both weeks he was here, uh, fresh water supply. Oh, definitely. And that yes. when it gets cold, the colder it gets, mm-hmm. and we might have some freezes that you always want to make sure uh, to go out and make sure if you have a bird bath or some kind of bird uh, watering station uh, that there has been no iced over the yeah. top. But uh, w- uh, water, very important uh, when you're trying to attract keep birds it as well. clean. You know, if you're going to, even if you just shoot it with the hose every now and then, but yes, they definitely need water. All right, uh, our buddy Timothy is on the line from Louisiana. Timothy, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Good morning, y'all. I just want to remind you of your natural wildlife refuges. You know, you got several of them there in, in Mississippi. There's 540, I think, across the country. So you know, whenever you're planning on a trip on somewhere, you know, chart that in and stop in and visit. Thank you, definitely. We have some wonderful ones. Uh, and um, talking about these Christmas bird counts, uh, Becky Rosman's doing one on Dahomey, and uh, let's see, there's one at Knoxabee National Wildlife Refuge, and uh, we t- we do take advantage of our wildlife refuges here for. All kinds of things. They're not just for hunting and fishing. They're also for birding and taking great nature walks and getting your kids outdoors. All right. All right, Timothy, thanks for the call. Good reminder. You know, like this is a great time of year to get out and enjoy uh, the outdoors before it gets to be too, too cold and folks want to stay inside. So this uh, crisp fall weather, especially like I say, when we have these sunny afternoons, a great opportunity to get outside. So, Dr. Major, got a minute left, and it's getting to be Christmas season, a lot of extra food, sweets, that sort of thing. Is there anything really top of the list that we need to make sure that maybe dogs and cats uh, don't get into? Chocolate is one thing that comes to my mind. Definitely chocolate, and especially the dark chocolate, uh, very uh, apt to cause some issues. Cats are a little bit pickier about that than the dogs would be. However, cats can consume it. Uh, And then just in general, leftovers. Leftovers are fine, but if something is spoiled uh, or if you've got uh, your garbage can, uh, we call it garbage gut sometimes. Sometimes a greedy dog will get in and, and just you know load up and then have some severe gastroenteritis, diarrhea, vomiting, and can cause some se- severe problems. But, yes, let's watch the chocolate. And also with our Christmas trees, uh, be sure that you've used something that's not going to be 
a problem as far as the water part of the uh, tree that cats cats are notorious for drinking uh, out of the Christmas tree thing. So be careful with that. All right. Uh, that's going to wrap us up. Chris Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funded provided in part by generous listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash creaturecomforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Michelle McAdoo. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned. Up next, it's 10 at 10. It's autocorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.